creature we visited has had an interest in doing an episode on foraging, the act of gathering wild plants. Foraging played a crucial role in the development of all our cultures on food and medicine, and that the gathering of the incredible bounty that nature offers us was vital to our survival and prosperity. Today, many of us do our foraging in our local supermarkets or grocery stores. While doing some plant research, I came across Kevin Healy's website, Pull Up Your Plants. The title certainly caught my attention, and I soon learned that Kevin has not only been foraging for many years, but he has been identifying and collecting stories of wild plants that most of us haven't even heard of, and that his enthusiasm and knowledge of these plants and what they can offer us was exactly what I was looking for. So thank you for joining me for this episode. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. Beautiful weather. Did you know it was the first day of spring? We didn't even plan for this, but yeah, first day of spring. Good to good day to talk about foraging. So, why don't we start by talking about you, who you are, and how you came to have such a passion for wild plants? Sure, sure. I am a uh, husband and a father of a three-year-old boy. I have a biology degree and a heart for biology, but I'm a chemist by trade. I'm a research scientist, just like a laboratory goon. I actually have the privilege of uh, having a hand in destroying the last of America's stockpile of mustard gas. And we should be done by 2023, so it'll be a monumental thing. Let me ask this one. Or what is foraging? Oh, foraging? I'd say it'd be the practice of going into the wild or your backyard. And I include the backyard in my definition of wild. It is nature, it's everywhere, to gather things for, I'd say for our case, uh, plants for food and medicine. So what really brought you to your interest and your passion for wild plants? Oh, man. Uh, Wonder. (laughs) I remember I was just a kid. I was in the playground, and I was digging uh, in the grass like kids do, and I, I pulled up what I thought looked like an onion. And, I, you know, I broke the bowl and I rubbed it between my fingers and smelled it. And sure enough, it smelled like an onion. You know, knowing now uh, what I had in my hands, it most definitely was an onion. But in the third grade, I ended up getting taken on a class field trip to the John Hines National uh, Wildlife Reserve in uh, Tinicum, Pennsylvania. It was actually a, a wild, edible sort of plant hike the gentleman, I, I don't know his name, I was so young at the time, took us through the marshes and uh, we came across the Roost Typhina, which is a type of sumac used to make lemonade. And I heard sumac and I said, oh my goodness, you know, that's poison, poison sumac. You're always told sumac is poisonous, stay away from it. And here he was handing us something called sumac to take a nibble of. And I think that's where the wonder kind of began. And then from there, I found out, uh, 
dandelions, some a, a plant that's very common to everybody's childhood was is an edible plant, and that led to other things, and it just kind of snowballed from there until today. With Pull Up Your Plants, it's pretty much my dream job. I feel like a calling to do research about the stories of plants and to preserve their legacies, uh, not to just see plants as wayside things or things without a story or a history, but stories that are intertwined with our own histories, our own humanity, going back into the, like the yawning darkness of prehistory things we don't even know about. There's the breath and, and uh, the poetry and the, the the songs, the music, the medicine are just locked in these little beings that we could just pass by every day, just step on and walk over. So now we're in a more monocrop sort of industrial age where, you know, we do these factory farm type things and there's very little diversity in our diet. I just think it's really important to kind of nurture and fertilize our, our relationship with plants and to bring their stories back into the fold, into the forefront. And a lot, a lot of the stories that I'm finding, some of the stories haven't been told in a very long time. And I feel kind of privileged to be able to find these things. It, it all comes down to treasure hunting. Me writing about plants is about discovering things and bringing them to the forefront again. Uh, but the story with, uh, Yarrow, Achillea millifolium, the uh, genus is related to Achilles. And, you know, he was known for his solitary weakness, his uh, Achilles heel. But I heard in the literature that there's a legend that Achilles was taught by the uh, rustic god. His name was Chiron. He was a uh, half horse, half man. What do you call that? Jeez. A centaur. So <clears throat> most of the centaurs in uh, Greco Roman mythology were crazed, drunken, philandering lunatic uh, base beasts, you know. But Chiron was a wise doctor. Chiron, according to legend, taught Achilles to use the Achillea millifolium yarrow plant to heal wounds in battle. Even uh, back as far as Pliny the Elder, say, Pliny the Elder mentioned this legend, and that's why uh, they called it the plant itself back then, in his times, Achilles, I think. So that plant led me because there is a, a mention that it was mentioned in Homer's epic Iliad, and that's been a, a great, wonderful experience in my life. And plants can really take you anywhere. That, that plant's been used for thousands of years uh, by people in China to divine the I Ching and such an amazing history. And even myself, when I was foraging, I, I call it an opportunity, but I had a cut and I started bleeding. And sure enough, I you know, crushed up the plant in, uh, on a rock and put it on the wound and instantly it adhered to it and stopped the bleeding. And it was just amazing. Can you kind of look back on, on foraging as, as part of the human experience? Well, sure. Um, and I'm not coming from a place of expertise, like say an archeologist might or a botanical archeologist. I'd say uh, our relationship uh, to foraging was a matter of necessity and started from the first time we started walking around and doing things in nature. It's a part of us. We are of nature. Nature is how we feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, and house ourselves that we've been doing this for as long as we've been here. It's a part of who we are. What are some of the ways that foraging can give us a better understanding of our environment and a better understanding of, of where we are now? That's a good question. 
I'm, I'm going to talk for myself. Uh, nature is like not some far away, like mythical place. It follows us wherever we are because, you know, we're of it. And I found that foraging reinforces my relationship to the environment in tangible ways. If you were to forage for dandelion greens in your backyard, you'd think twice about spraying your yard with pesticides or something like that. Or maybe you'd think twice about using some harsh chemicals to, like, unclog your pipe. Plants derive nutrition from the soil. The rabbits eat the plants. The birds of prey eat the, the rabbits. You know, what's bad for your children is also bad for other children. It, it reinforces the fact that we're of nature. So I think foraging, it kind of leads you to a more pragmatic and reasonable relationship to your environment because you're an active participant in it. So what are some of the more common plants that that people forage for? Salsify, purslane, mallow, yellow dock, uh, cattails are incredibly useful. Now I'm in the, like the semi-desert southwest and it's pretty dry. We're in the rain shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So down here in this kind of like harsh environment, I'm looking forward to Nepales, which are cactus paddles. Oh man, they're so good. Osha, people go into the mountains to get that. Kota tea, uh, Mormon tea, Plantago, uh, plantain. They call that the white man's footprint. Yeah, very, very, uh, very popular foraging herbs. So how important is it to have a good knowledge of the plants themselves if one is to go foraging? I think it's important to uh, note in the beginning that you don't have to be an expert on all plants to begin foraging. You kind of just, well, not kind of, you definitely need, need to be an expert on the identity of the plant that you commit to consuming. And even it's, uh, say, toxic lookalikes, it sounds daunting, but uh, again, the dandelion, most of us are intimate with that plant. It'd be very hard for us to confuse it with anything else. If you're a beginner, you got to respect who the plant is. It's who it is. It's not, you know, who you want it to be. You know, you don't have to be a biologist. You could go on guided hikes, get a good guidebook. And the important thing is to respect the limits of your knowledge. I always think that doubts, if I have a doubt, that's a warning. And it's my responsibility to listen to that warning. So, in, and if, if you're, even if you're certain about the identity of the plant, it's important to introduce it into your diet in small portions, maybe even rub it on your skin, nibble it, spit it out. See if you have any burning or acrid taste sensations. You never know. Maybe you have an allergy to a plant that you've never been exposed to. How much of your foraged foods or plants actually make it to the dinner table? A small portion of our of our actual uh, greens come from the wild. It's just because, you know, like everybody else, I, I work uh, a whole lot. And when I'm off, I love to go foraging. So it's really seasonally uh, limited, time limited. But... Now that my uh, son's, ever since he's been two, I've been taking him out and, and foraging. So it's all a part of the experience. The experience of foraging and the time I get with my kid is, is just as cool as the stuff I bring home. Can you kind of just talk about the different regions across the country and, and, how, and what they kind of offer to a forager? Like I think in the Northeast where I live, I think mushrooms are a big thing that people forage for? I actually grew up in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. So you guys have uh, uh, all kinds of forest mushrooms that I could only dream of uh, out here. I'd say for a few, I think chicken of the woods, uh, you don't see that out here. Oh, what is that bright orange mushroom? If I ever see it in real life, I'm, I'm just going to die there. 
Oh, geez. Okay. Well, you have reishi mushrooms, you have morels, you have everything. And even in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, out here we have boletus, uh, boletus. People come from all over the world uh, to the Rocky Mountains to uh, forage those mushrooms. I run into Slavic-speaking people all the time out there, sometimes even more than um, locals. We have uh, morels out here. It takes some digging, though. You have to really look at burn areas and riparian sort of uh, environments. Up in the north, Pacific Northwest, I lived there for a while, the Portland area. It was just overrun with stinging nettle, which is a great, great, great culinary herb that I don't have the opportunity to run into very often out here because, you know, they like wet feet. Alaska, I lived there for a while, absolutely abundant with uh, with blueberries. Even in, uh, say, the desert regions out here, that's the main kind of eco sphere I, I'm familiar with. Uh, when I first moved here, I was kind of upset uh, moving from a relatively hot and humid, rainy environment in Pennsylvania, moving up here to the only crisp, dry desert. I thought, oh, geez, you know, if anything were to happen, you know, we'd starve. But you wouldn't think it. There's there's plenty of, uh, of food out here just on the uh, crispy, uh, dry, desert-ish, like, sort of landscape. I'd say, for instance, a plant that got us through, at least some of us through the Great Depression, would be the Russian thistle, the uh, famous tumbleweed you see in old Western movies. In the Depression era, they would tumbleweed shoots and prepare them, and I, you know, I've tried that. It's kind of cool to be a, a part of tasting history, even if it's a sad chapter in our, in our history. And like I said, uh, nopales, cactus, opuntia species, there's, there's tons of stuff out there. I'm not real familiar with foraging, so for me, I have, like I maybe two or three plants. And, and to me, mushroom is like the first thing that comes to my mind. I love the, the idea that, that there's this whole bounty of possibilities that nature offers to us. When I found that first onion when I was a kid, it got me to wondering. It's all about wonder because I thought, wait, there's onions down there. Maybe there's potatoes. Maybe there's beets. There's osage orange. It smells like an, uh, you know, an orange. Uh, you know, is it is it useful? Is it edible? Just so many so many questions come up. Say a plant like uh, again, the dandelion or the wild onion, really is kind of a gateway into other in a, another world. Some people look at it foraging as something that's mysterious and off limits. You know, I run into that a whole lot, especially when you mention I, I forage, say mushrooms. You know, with mushrooms, of course, it's what kind of mushrooms, and <laughs> like uh, they instantly go to the, the psychedelic or psychoactive sort of mushrooms. But with mushrooms, there's a, a huge phobia. It's right that you should have a certain degree of respect for the limits of your knowledge and also what plants and, say, the wrong type of mushroom can do to you if you uh, consume it. There are ways to become an expert, and that is study. Uh, really immerse yourself, understand what it is you're looking for, and how to know it is what it is. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about the the culture of foraging as as it's kind of becoming more and more almost mainstream. You know, I really do think that the common thread would be it's just innate in ourselves. Treasure hunting is just something that I believe humans are have an inbuilt sort of passion for. At least that's, I have a bias because I have it greatly to a large degree. But I do believe that like a lot of us inside have an inner treasure hunter inside of us that 
just loves the drills are. There's a sense of culinary adventure. These are new tastes, new experiences, uh, new, new flavors, new textures that you're introducing, say, for the first time in your life. And maybe, maybe you'll be doing it for the rest of your life. When you forage a new plant, you're literally, you could be changing a life for forever. So all the foragers that I have met all have had a really deep respect for the environment that they travel in. Can you share with us your experience of places that you've been and, and some of the interesting plants that you've found? Oh, man. I don't know why that question just gave me the chills all the way up my back. I, I don't want to keep you on or your listeners on for, for hours, so I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to whittle it down to one. Uh, I'd say the first time I found a morel was the most magical experience of my life. I had looked in m m mushroom guidebooks, and I saw, oh, my goodness, you know, we're, I'm in uh, Colorado. I just moved here, like, say, 10 years ago. There can't be mushrooms out here. And sure enough, in the guidebooks, you know, there they were. And apparently it would take some digging. So and I went out looking and looking and looking for years and years, and this is before I was active in any mycology online sort of social networks. Like I said, I think it was my third year, and I was out that day hiking with my friend Aaron, who was going on his first forage for mushrooms. And at that time, I had been coming up empty forever. I'd, I wasn't really foraging for mushrooms at that point. In my mind, I was just, you know, kind of walking around, uh, getting really tired and going home. But, I mean, that's part of the thing, just being out there. You never go home empty, even when you don't find anything. But here we were, it was a beautiful day. We walked through waterfalls. We were absolutely exhausted. It's been hours going up a steep grade along a creek in the mountains. I walked up the same area that we were before. And I swear, I, I, could, I just came up the hill and I, I, I remember it as there, were, there was sun shining through the evergreens, uh, the ponderosa pine onto this little patch. And there were these little Lilliputian, like, um, perfect morels, Oricella, just standing like a little army to greet us. And I didn't, I'm not the type of person that can uh, kind of keep it together. So I saw that, and I grabbed my friend by the shirt and screamed in that man's face. <laughs> he didn't know what was happening. By the look in his eye, I thought he must have thought there was trouble, but no. I, that was the first time I ever locked eyes with a morel, and there it was in the flesh. That was the best, absolute best moment ever foraging. You can share another one with us if you like. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, so now this year I'm looking for a particular plant, Bush Morning Glory. Now it's a, a type of sweet potato that grows out here in the desert southwest. And it, it's also, its other name is man root, and that is because... Morphologically, not only does it look like the shape of a person, the root can be up to, I've heard, 200 pounds. <laughs> now, I don't know if I believe that there is a 200-pound or ever has been a 200-pound man root, but I know they can get gigantic. Oh, man, I have one more, too. Another one is the Kentucky coffee tree. I remember it growing up. I called it hot rocks because they had these pods. The seeds were so hard, you'd rub them on the ground, and you could rub them to the point where you put it on your friend's arm and it would burn them. And I, I saw this plant and I hadn't seen it in years. It was like running into an old friend at the, uh, at the zoo here in Pueblo, Colorado. And I saw on the ground that, you know, there's a pot. Oh, there's three seeds in there. So uh, I took it home and then looked up uh, how to propagate the tree. And it turns out 
this tree has an incredibly interesting story biologically. It's what you call an anachronism, a living anachronism, where it is trudging towards extinction. And there's basically nothing that we can do about it. And the reason it's going towards extinction is because its natural partner for propagation were giant sloths, mastodons. Uh, those are the only things that could eat these plants and spread their seeds. So their seeds are so hard-coated that the only thing that could really naturally to sprout or germinate were these giant land animals that are now gone. Now, these seeds are so hard, I used a nutcracker, and here I am now with this sort of existential problem on my hands. Well, well, this is a very, very rare plant. I have to take care of these seeds, so, and I'm hoping the best for them, but, yeah, they're in my house. What advice might you give to someone who's interested in foraging? Sure. Um, well, uh, you want to go on, a, say, a, like a guided hike. Uh, that, that's a great introductory way to go about things. And the reason I say that, it's not, not that you want to completely outsource or put on somebody else your responsibility for identifying plants, but it's great because you get the experience that guidebooks can't give you that way. You could become intimate with the plant. A guidebook can never tell you what a plant smells like to you or feels like in your hands. That's a great way to become intimate with a plant and know it for the rest of your life. I'd say the second would be to get yourself a good guidebook. Now, if you live in the Colorado mountains, all the way up into Canada, H.D. Harrington's book is, I'd recommend that over all else. When I first started, I had this sort of imp in my head that said, it is what I want it to be. It, the plant won't be what you want it to be. You have to make sure it is what it is. And like I said earlier, it's your responsibility to be an expert on the plant that you're about to consume. You can't outsource that to anybody else. You have to, when you're doing it on your own, respect the limitations of your knowledge. And if you have a doubt, you need to stop. How is foraging more than just going into the woods and finding and collecting strange plants to eat? Sure. It's, it's, you become an active participant in the environment that way. You become a shareholder, as we already are. But it's one thing to know that as a concept. It's another to actually put it into practice. You don't pollute where you eat. You don't exploit the areas that you respect. Foraging is more than just going and getting things for consumption, for material purposes, for pleasure. It's, it's about having a relationship with the earth, uh, where you live, and really kind of acknowledging our mother. It's all of us. It's not some sort of place that we go to. The environment, nature, we're, we're of it. And when you participate in it, you don't have to do it exclusively. You know, I'm, I'm not saying all of your food should be foraged. Just maybe like once a year, it really, really makes you a shareholder in the natural world. Just the experience of, of hiking. I mean, Morels, for example, grow in the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Is there any sense of ritual when it comes to foraging? Um, we'd go uh, morel hunting, and my uh, hunting buddy, I'd say, we should bring a horn. Whoever's the first to find the first morel should blast this horn. Like some sort of triumphant sort of sound. I think it's important. I think ritual is important. It, it makes the act something special to you. How about the idea that 
when it comes to foraging, the concept of the sacred? The concept of the sacred. Um, yeah, it's now this is a personal thing for me. Whenever I'm walking, even if I don't, I'm not finding, and it's a beautiful day, or say I get a good waft of uh, sort of a butterscotch smell, this uh, ponderosa pine uh, does have in our in our forest out here. I, I always give thanks wherever I walk. I express gratitude. I think it's it's important to uh, to go out there, and when you're out there, and you have the ability to walk, and you have the ability to feel the sunshine and enjoy the day with your friends. I think that's the perfect time to give thanks. Foraging certainly gives you that opportunity and that space to have that moment. And I think it's important to get caught up in a ritual of making money, going to work, going to the grocery store, the, the grind. We forget what we're here to do. It's we're here to experience the richness of the world. I think uh, foraging really does leads you out there, shows you what gratitude is and what it can look like. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin Healy, and that if you are interested in wild plants for both identification and their use, that you visit his website, pullupyourplants.com. And please, don't be misled by the title. Kevin's work and knowledge is truly remarkable. So please do visit his website, pullupyourplants.com. And I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues. And subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com that's norden n-o-o-r-d-e-n productions.com if you would like to share your thoughts or comments please send them to us through our website contact page and we will share them on our instagram page nature revisited is produced by stefan van norden and charles gagan i hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Mm-hmm.